Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you and your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. Thank you, choir, and it is good to be home. I hadn't preached. Well, thank you. I hadn't preached in two weeks, so I'm going to cram in three weeks today. I'm just kidding. But uh, you do go through withdrawals, but I'm glad to be home, and we had a wonderful, uh, relaxing time, traveled a lot of miles, and uh, thank you for allowing us that privilege to have that respite, and also to visit uh, with two um, missionaries that we hope to uh, partner with, Um, and uh, we'll be talking about those ministries and that partnership later, but today I want to preach on the subject of who's your mission, who is your mission. In August at our annual church conference, the church uh, committed to an emphasis on personal evangelism in the year 2023. And we are entitling this emphasis and this challenge and this direction of First Baptist Church, Who's Your Mission? And this is in direct keeping with what is called the Great Commission that is given to us by Jesus, the last instruction from our Lord before He ascended to heaven after the resurrection. And it's what He told us to do until He returns. And this, what we're going to read today and talk about today is the main thing. The hardest job, the hardest responsibility of any church is keeping the main thing the main thing. And this is the main thing. Anything else we do that is not supportive of this that we're going to talk about today is really just busy work. Do you remember in school thinking the teacher was just giving you busy work? Well, I don't know. I learned a lot from that. But I want to tell you what, anything else we do in the Lord's house that is not directly related to what this great commission is today is simply just busy work. And it looks good, and it feels good, and it seems good, but let me just get to you in my country vernacular. It ain't good. It ain't good. And so uh, let's look at our text, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, and consider what is called the Great Commission today. This is Matthew chapter 28, Verse 18, Jesus is about to ascend to the Father and uh, take the throne at the right hand of God and um, leaves us with this work to do. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, go ye therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or to keep all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. This is the Great Commission. And I want to just detail the Great Commission to you today and then reemphasize the challenge that I told you two weeks ago that we were Uh, going to uh, partake of and engage in and give you some insight into that and get our hearts ready and our minds ready for who's your mission. First of all, in terms of the Great Commission, I want you to notice the person who commands it. Verse 18, the person who commands it is Jesus, our Lord. 
Yes, He is our Lord. All authority, the Bible says, all authority, He claims, is given to Him in heaven and in earth. He is our Savior and He is our Lord. He must be both if you have a relationship with Him. He is not your Savior if He is not your Lord. And if He is your, not your Lord, He cannot and will not be your Savior. He alone gives us the marching orders for the church. All authority. He alone tells us what a Christian is to do and to be about. All authority is His. He alone sets the priority. He alone and none other. When you were saved and came to the Lord Jesus and were born again, you believed, according to the book of Romans, you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. This is unrestrained authority. It is His authority. And so He is the person who commands us to be involved in the Great Commission. Second thing I want you to see in terms of the Great Commission is the people who commit to it. The people who, to, who commit to it. Now, uh, folks, I want to tell you real quick, church growth does not come by way of programs. The day in America when you build it, they will come, is long over. We live in a secular world. I'm going to bring you some statistics that's going to shock you about the state of Mississippi in the near future. And I will tell you one we've already mentioned. The fastest growing religion in the state of Mississippi, not South Dakota, not Texas, not Alabama, but the fastest growing religion in the state of Mississippi is none. It's none. Not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E. N-O-N-E, a significant, fast-growing number of citizens of the state of Mississippi claim absolutely no affiliation with any religion whatsoever. The day you build a church or build a program and they come is over. This is not 1950. Our nation has grown, grown more hard and calloused toward the gospel of Christ through these decades, and here we are. So I will tell you what needs to be done is relationships with the lost need to be built and fostered. Individual people within the body of Christ, the church, must commit themselves to individual people outside the church who are lost and unsaved if that church is to grow and prosper in these days. God uses and blesses people. And He wants to use and He wants to bless you. And He will bless you. Individuals who want to be blessed and want to be used by the Lord. And that is inherent within the Great Commission. Let me give you just a, a, a three Three things that the Great Commission involves in terms of you and me as individuals. First of all, personal involvement. Nothing can replace you. Nothing can replace you in the work of the Great Commission. Not your money, not a program in the church, not any plan of action that we take. Absolutely nothing can replace you. And I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about him. I'm not talking about her. The Great Commission is talking about you. Nothing can replace you. Personal involvement. This verb in the text, go ye, or you go, is plural referring to a host of individuals within the local church. It is a great commission that is given to the local church, and the local church is made up of you, the saved, the baptized, those who have surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Christ. Personal involvement. Each one of us has a responsibility. 
in organizational leadership, and sometimes in the church you see this. You ever heard this phrase? Everybody's job is nobody's job. You ever heard that? What that means is if we look at each other and say, this is what we're supposed to do, nobody's going to do it. Because everybody's job is nobody's job. There's got to be an assignment. Amen? You've got to give an assignment. Well, in terms of the Great Commission and the local church, everybody's job is everybody's job. Everybody's job. Personal involvement. A second consideration is, is personal work. The verbiage here is a participle. And it has no reference to time whatsoever. It is just something that is always in the now. And it means as you go or as you are going about your life, you are to fulfill the great commission. It is to be your life's work as a Christian. Now, I'm a Baptist pastor. I've been a Baptist pastor uh, all my adult life since I was 19 years old. I preached my first sermon when I was 16 years old. It's all I've ever known as far as employment goes, except for high school jobs and a couple of college jobs I had to be able to take Tracy out for a hamburger and ice cream or something. But uh, it's all I've ever known. But I want to tell you something. Preaching and pastoring First Baptist Church is not my vocation. It is an advocation. My vocation is to share the gospel of Christ. Your job at Ingalls or at Chevron or at the school district or in the county or wherever you may work is not your vocation. That is your avocation. You are a blood-bought, born-again believer. You have been bought with a price by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and your vocation is to share the gospel, to fulfill the Great Commission. And so it takes a personal work. And it is to be your life's work, not some program we do at church, but it is your life's work, personal work. A third thought about those involved, the people committed to it, is it is a personal responsibility. I have heard, and I, I want to tell you, I'm, I want to be very pastoral here. I speak from a pastor's heart, and, and in this case, it will be a broken heart, a distraught heart. I've heard church people through the years say, when we talk about personal evangelism, and we talk about soul winning, and we talk about getting a mission and seeking to win someone to Christ and make them a disciple, I've heard individual members of churches say, that's just not my calling. I'm not called to be a witness for Christ. Pastor, I don't, I don't have that gift like other people do. Well, you're right, because it's not a gift. It's a command. But I'm just not called to be a disciple maker. I'm not called to be a witness for Christ. I, I'm going to do other things. I'm going to do other things. I'm just not called to that. Well, that baffles me to this day. So let me just clear it up. Get the baffle out. Amen. Can I do that? Sure. Let me just end it right now. Let's just kick this ball not down the field, but into the next town and get rid of it. Two things I want to tell you if that's your attitude. Number one, if you're not called to this, you're not a Christian. You're not saved. You need to be born again. If you're not called and by the Great Commission and commissioned by the words of Jesus in Matthew 28. Then His words in John chapter 3 verse 16 have nothing to do with you either. You are called if you're a Christian. Second of all, the second thing I want to say is this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to keep all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. We just read the word of God to you. Consider yourself called. That's the word of God for you and for me. Can I get an amen? In South Dakota, they say that's good preaching, whether you like it or not. 
but it's the truth of God. If you're not called to evangelism, personal work of evangelism, then you're not saved. And if you are saved, you are called. That's the bottom line of the Word of God. I have no other way to explain it. Now, when we organize this challenge in our staff meeting, and I'm speaking to you as a pastor today, I told the staff, I said, you know what? When you start talking about soul winning, you're starting to talk about getting into the devil's territory where lost people are because he wants them in hell. He don't want them to be saved. And he'll let them drink themselves to hell. He'll let them shoot themselves up to hell. But most people, he'll let them just be decent, moral, God-fearing people all the way to hell. All right? That's what he'll do. I said, but also within the church, you'll have some, we'll have opposition. We're going to see some opposition. And I debated this morning, early this morning, whether or not to tell you what I told them about the three types of opposition. And I'm deciding right here and now as I'm standing here to tell you the three types of opposition that we will face because the devil won't let it lie. Number one, there will be aggressive opposition. There will be people who will complain about our emphasis. They will complain and gripe and bellyache. I don't know their motive. I'm not about to try to guess their motive. But they will not want me talking about soul winning and personal evangelism. They will not want me to challenge you or challenge anybody or our church to be involved in this. And they will be aggressive about it. They may not talk to me, but they may talk to you. All right? Number two, there will be a passive-aggressive opposition. This will be the person who does not want to look bad, so they won't be aggressive in their opposition. But they will do a whole lot of busy work to look like they're involved, but they'll never get personal with a mission. They'll never get personal with somebody they know who's lost. But they will sure do a lot of busy work. They will come up with a thousand suggestions for us to add so many dimensions to this challenge that it looks like just another program that comes out of Nashville that has good intentions. The third type of opposition will be completely passive. They'll never gripe. They'll never complain. They just won't do anything. They won't pray for somebody. They won't choose somebody to win to Christ. They won't go after a soul. They won't engage at all. They'll just sit on the sidelines and that will be it. And we'll never know who they are. Isn't that an amazing thing? So, preacher, why do you tell us that? I'm going to tell you this. I just told you that for this reason. Don't be that guy. Don't be that person. If you're thinking about that, repent right now in your mind and say, God, I repent. I'm not going to be an aggressive, uh, an aggressive opposer. I'm not going to be a passive-aggressive opposer. I'm not going to be a passive opposer. I'm going to get involved and go after a mission for the Lord Jesus Christ and His glory. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, amen. Well, there's two of you. <laughs> Gave me a little more than Amen. Look, when one person claps, that's like saying sick them to a dog. When the whole church applauds, that's like saying sick them to a dog too. Number three, the procedure that continues it in verses 18 through 19. Here is the procedure outlined by the Great Commission. Evangelize, baptize, and disciple. This is God's plan for church growth. This is God's plan for you and me. This is God's plan for getting the job done that He gave us before He ascended to the Father. We know the mission. We know the message. Here is the message. Here is the method. We, first of all, the first time in this text, He says, teach. The word means to instruct. In the Greek language, it is an aorist imperative, which simply means it has no reference for time and sometimes these, these types of, uh, gra- this type of grammar is translated as in the past tense. But it means as you go, instruct people about Christ. This is evangelism. You build a relationship with somebody 
And one day you get to share the gospel with them. The second part of the plan, of God's plan, is to baptize. Immerse them. When they come to Christ and are saved, you immerse them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You baptize. It's like we baptize today. And then teaching them to observe. Begin the lifelong pursuit of teaching the Bible to those who have been saved and baptized into the church family. It is a present participle, ongoing. This is discipleship. This is where good, solid programming comes into the church, where Sunday school can be involved and Bible studies can be involved, is discipleship. But when it comes to evangelism, folks, they're not coming here. We're commanded to go out there. We got to go get them because they're not coming here. They're not coming here just because we build a building or say we're going to sing Sunday night. They're not coming here. Or just because Dr. Mike's a great preacher, they're not coming here. And so we evangelize, baptize, and teach. This is the plan. This is the order that God's given us. Win them, baptize them, disciple them. Then they get into the cycle that God has for them that will bless them for the rest of their lives. My question for you today, though, I have one question. What about you? Are you in the right order? You know, there's a lot of people who have been baptized, but they've never been evangelized. They've never been saved. Those same people are trying to be discipled, and it's so frustrating for them because they can't learn the things of God because the teacher, the Holy Spirit's not in them. And they skip over evangelized, being evangelized and they're baptized and trying to be discipled. Or they've skipped over evangelized and been baptized and could care less about being discipled. But I want to tell you what, the order that God gives us is you evangelize them, you baptize them, and you disciple them. Amen. And I want to tell you what, if you will embrace this challenge that we're going to give you for the next year, God will use you to evangelize, You'll get to see them baptized, and I want to tell you, you'll see them discipled. You'll be a part of that also. Let me show you something. I think you can still see it. I'm going to show you something. Here you go, baby. See this? You see the color? When I walked down here, this was solid wet. You know why? Because I'm short. And when I baptize somebody, my shirt, half my shirt gets wet. And I can, you can ask Carl. He's, I wring it out. I want my shirt to be wet. Wet, wet in 2023. Amen. And that's why I preach so long for the dry cleaning. Amen. You say, well, preacher, you need to learn how to baptize. I've been baptized a long time. It's just because I'm short. If I was six, seven, it'd be like this. But I got to get down with them. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Oh, boy. But a problem in the church is, is when we get them in the baptistry without evangelizing. But I want to tell you this, folks. If someone gets in the baptistry, that doesn't mean they're saved. If somebody's here every Sunday trying to be discipled, that doesn't mean they're saved. But I want to tell you what, you get them saved, they'll get in that baptistry and they'll be discipled. It'll be a great blessing to you. Now I want you to see the promise that confirms it. The Great Commission is given in some form in every, all four of the Gospels. Each one has a tremendous promise attached to it. It's one of the most wonderful promises of God. And if you will obey your Lord and have a mission, these promises will come to fruition in your life. You will see them played out if you will obey the Lord and you'll see these promises in you and for you and through you. It's a remarkable thing. Let me read to you the, the, the great commission as given by Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, we see in chapter 16, verse 15, we have the promise of protection. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. All, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. 
They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There we're promised protection. Just like the first apostles who heard this commission were protected in these ways, we have a very similar protection for us when we go about our witness for Christ. Now I know I'm about to take uh, I'm about to simplify this text. And there's a lot of theological discussion about some of these things. But let me just tell you how it translates uh, today in today's world down here in South Mississippi. Can I do that? You'll be protected when you obey the Great Commission. Number one, you'll be protected from seeing the persons you care about, the persons that you love and win to Christ You'll be protected from seeing them die and go to a devil's hell for eternity without the Lord Jesus. That's verse 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. You'll see them saved, saved from the wrath of God, saved from hell, saved from their sin. You'll be protected from that great sorrow. Verse 17, you'll be, you'll be protected from Satan's attacks and hindrances in the mission. He loves to try to hinder you when you go to, to win souls. He tries and tries his best, and he'll attack in every way. We already talked about that. But I want to tell you what, God will protect you. Also, Mark says, from, you, you'll be protected from saying the wrong thing. That's the biggest fear that I have from people. I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. Well, you're talking about the gospel. You know how to be saved. How in the world are you going to say the wrong thing? Just say what was said to you when you got saved. Amen. It's that simple. You're not going to mess this up. The Holy Spirit is with you. Every time I approach a soul about with the gospel, every time I seek to win somebody to Christ, that fear comes upon my mind. Lord, I pray I'll, never, I'll not say the wrong thing. And you know what? I never do because the Lord's with me. And the Lord, just, he just, He's just with you. We're going to talk about that promise in a few minutes. You'll be, and look, the Bible says that they'll, they'll drink poison. I'm sorry, they'll, they'll pick up snakes, and the snakes won't hurt them, poisonous snakes. Now, that's not a promise for you working in your garden. This is a promise for you out winning souls to Christ, Amen. Now, this was fulfilled in the book of Acts when Paul, remember Paul, showed up on that island after that shipwreck and he picked up that load of wood. He was my kind of preacher. Boy, he got down and dirty and was bringing the wood to the fireplace. And, and a snake, a viper came out and bit him. And all those guys said, oh, he's dead. He's dead. He'll be dead in five minutes. No reason to call 911. They wouldn't get here in time. But Paul lived and they said, oh, this is really something. And Paul took the opportunity to preach the gospel. So Mark is telling us there today in South Mississippi, when you go to win your mission to Jesus, you'll be protected from outside poison. Don't worry about what people say about you and the poison they'll spew out. God will take care of you. And then Mark says they'll drink, uh, they'll, they'll drink poison. Now this is the only one of these signs that was not fulfilled in the book of Acts. We, we don't know about the fulfillment of this. But he says, they'll drink poison and it won't harm them. It'll protect you from inside poison. From what's inside you, the fears, the, 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 the uh, feelings of inadequacy. That's inside poison. You just got to keep going through it. And then, verse 18, he will protect you from being ineffective. The Bible says, you'll lay hands on the sick. And they'll recover. You'll preach. You'll teach. You'll share. And people will be saved. He'll protect you from being ineffective. You will always be effective when you glorify God in obedience to the Great Commission. Let me read to you what Luke says about the Great Commission. Luke chapter 24. And he said unto them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name unto all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, Luke says, Behold, I send forth the promise of my Father upon you. And 
The book of Acts, which was also written by Luke, tells us the promise of the Father was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gave them power. Luke expands on that. You'll have the power of the Holy Spirit with you. You'll have the power of the Holy Spirit. See, He's working in you. And then He's working with you and working through you. And on the person that you want to see saved, He's working on him or her. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you what, it's amazing to watch the Holy Spirit work. And then we have John chapter 20. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. John promises his peace. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, then gave them the great commission. Peace I leave with you. Peace in knowing that your mission is being accomplished. Peace in knowing that the person you can win to Jesus this next year, if they die, and when they die, they'll be in heaven. You know what? I'm getting to the age now in in my life's experience where people early on that I've led to the Lord in my ministry are dying and going to heaven. I hear about them a little more often now. I get a phone call or an email or a text message. John Goforth died yesterday. Just want you to know. I led John Goforth to the Lord. Gordon Fair died about a couple of months ago, I guess. I led Gordon Fair to the Lord. And I want to tell you what, it's peace in my heart to know. But I have to be honest and tell you, there's people who I've let fall through the cracks. And I'm not at peace. One of the Saddest words I ever hear at a funeral is not from a grieving parent or a grieving spouse or grieving children. That is sad. But the saddest thing I ever hear is when a strong Christian comes to me and says, I've known him for many years, but I don't know if he was saved or not. I don't know if he was a Christian. Boy, he was my favorite uncle. She was my favorite aunt, but I don't know if they were saved. I don't know if they were saved. How can you have peace with that? But you fulfill the Great Commission, and the Gospel of John, Jesus says, My peace will be yours. My peace will be yours. And then in our text, Matthew 28, we have the promise of his presence. And lo, I'm with you. Now, folks, I want to tell you, it's, it, it's wonderful to be a Christian in it. We have the presence of God with us in many ways, all through the experiences that we endure as people on planet Earth when we're Christian people and we know the Lord. We have these marvelous, marvelous things. When it comes time to make a decision, isn't it wonderful to have the presence of the Lord with you? Isn't that wonderful? When despair comes our way and discouragement and you're distraught, isn't it wonderful to have the presence of God with you? One of the greatest joys is to hear another Christian say, Oh, this, this, and this, but the Lord was with us. The Lord was with us. He was present with us. I want to tell you what, sometimes we don't even feel like he's with us for lack of a better way, but he said he'd always be with us. When it comes time to die, you know, I've never been at the point of death. I, I never have, but I've been with many who have, and they've gone on to be with the Lord, and I've heard their testimony, I've seen the countenance on their faces. I've been with family members 
my family who has passed. And I want to tell you what, it's great to have the presence of God when it comes time to die or when it comes times for death, isn't it? It's a joy to have the presence of the Lord. I've been in those rooms where you feel the brush of angels' wings and there's glory on each face. But the greatest experience you will ever have and I've ever had and if you've been if you if you've won anybody to Christ you know what I'm talking about the greatest experience you'll ever have is when with the presence of the Lord is knowing and experiencing the presence of the Lord when you're sharing the gospel with somebody it's the most amazing thing you'll ever experience that's why he promised i will be with you First of all, we have to have him with us to do this because it's going into the devil's world right here. But also, he's just with you in such a special, heavy, exciting way when you're sharing the gospel one-on-one with somebody. You have a New Testament or a gospel tract and you're talking to them about being born again. It's just the most amazing thing. It really is so fascinating to know Brother Larry at Vacation Bible School, Whitney's those just to have, you just, it's just like God's all, it's just like you're all wet with the Lord. It's incredible. You can ring him out, amen. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I, uh, Tracy and I left on Saturday. Friday, I got a call from a wife of a friend of mine in this town. If I said his name, many of you, especially Old Ocean Springs, would know him. He's not a member of our church. He goes to another church. But he's a friend of mine. I've had a relationship with him for many years, friendship. His health is not good. His health is not real well. And his wife called me on Friday. And I told, and she said, he believes he's about, his death is coming soon, and he wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you. See, that's what relationship, friendship will do, amen? He wants to talk to you. And so, you know what I said? Well, I'm packing right now. I'll be back in two weeks. No. There's an urgency. If I'd missed my flight, I'd have gone. But I want to tell you what, I went over there, drove up, walking up the sidewalk to the front door. All those fears, just like it does you. All that anxiety, I'm going to mess this up. Devil saying, you're a short, bald-headed preacher who can't even baptize people without getting wet. How are you going to do this? What are you going to do? All those anxieties. Am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I going to get him offended? You know what I've learned about offending lost people? Where are you going to offend them to? You're going to offend them to hell number one, hell number two, or hell number three? Huh? They're already offended. So she met me at the door and said, he's in there. Now, I sat down with this friend who I love. I love him. And he said, you know, I'm just, I'm not ready to die. I don't want to die. I I just real discouraged and depressed about that. You know, I've had some changes that kind of make me. And I said, well, my friend, I cannot. Keep you from physical death. Nothing I can do. But my role as a Christian and as your friend is to talk to you about your soul. And he told me, he said, well, I was baptized as an infant. And, you know, I've tried to do this, tried to do that. And I said, oh, my friend, you got it all out of whack. That's not going to get you to heaven. It's not going to give you any peace. 
And I opened up my New Testament to John 3, and I talked to him about Nicodemus. I said, just like Nicodemus, you're a wonderful moral man. You're a good friend, and, and, and you and I are friends. You need to be born again. And I told him about calling on the name of the Lord to be saved and, and how it's not of works and how God alone does it. We call upon the name of the Lord and humble ourselves. He says, well, I guess that's what I need to do. And I said, yes, sir, that's what you need to do. And he called on the name of the Lord and was saved. I may never get him in the baptistry here. I may never get him in the baptistry, but I want to tell you something. I got so excited, I almost walked into a closet <laughs> trying to get out the house. His wife saw me out, and I, 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 was, I was walking like this. I wanted to do a holy dance down the driveway because the presence of God was just so much there. And I got in my truck, and I closed the door on my truck, and I said, Oh, glory! Hallelujah! Amen. And I called Miss Tracy up. And I said, Miss Tracy, guess what? Guess what? Our trip's canceled. No, I didn't say. I said, guess what? So-and-so just got saved. Oh, that's wonderful. We fellowship. I want to tell you what. You'll never, ever, there's nothing else in this life that compares to that experience and that feeling, you want feeling, get filled with that, folks. And that, that wonderful exhilaration when a soul is translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, who escapes hell by the grace of God, is redeemed by the blood, and is born again, and you know you're going to see them in heaven forever one day, and you had a part of it because you just did what God told you to do. There's nothing like it in the world. Nothing like it. And there's nothing like it in heaven either. That's why the angels stand around on Sundays looking down in these churches hoping somebody will get saved so they can just see something that they'll never experience. That's it. Now I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. Number one, will you, in response to where Jesus said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Will you rededicate yourself to his lordship in your life and say, Lord, you're Lord, and I will obey. Second of all, will you pray and will you ask God to burden you with at least one soul? After we talked about this two weeks ago, somebody emailed me and said, can we have more than one? Absolutely. You can have more than one. Will you pray, though, and ask God to burden you for at least one soul who you know is lost? All right, let's make it easy. You don't even know if they're saved or not. And look, if, some, if, if you don't know that someone's saved because of how they live, they're probably lost. I mean, when God saves you, He makes a difference. Amen. But anyway, will you pray and ask God to burden your soul with your, you with one soul and will you make that person your mission? A child, a grandchild, a teenage child, a relative, a neighbor, a teammate, a schoolmate, a friend, somebody you see uh, on the tennis courts or somebody you see on the golf course, somebody. Will you do that? And ask God to burden. Thirdly, will you make that person or those persons your mission? Will you make them your mission? Who's your mission? That person. Will you make that person or persons your mission? Also, will you put them on, and, and this is just uh, sounds so simple, but it's the best way to say it. Will you put them on our list? On our list with your name. Now, if you need to be, it needs to be kept private, you can put initials, you can put uh, some code name, it doesn't matter, but we want their name and your name, and maybe how they're related to you, or how you know them, perhaps. So, we, all of us, can be on mission together, and your mission becomes my mission, plus we want to pray for them. And that leads us to the next thing. Will you commit to pray for the missions of your church family? 
Will you commit to pray for the missions of your church family? On Wednesday nights, we're still going to have a, a, a pastor's fellowship in the Bible. We're still going to have all our programming on Wednesday night, RAs and GAs and choir. But after that's over, we're going to stay and pray specifically for these people and for the, for the missionaries, for you who want to reach them. Lift them up to the Lord. And then, will you make this commitment formal on January 22nd, 2023? Say, preacher, that's a long way off. Why is it taking so long? I want you to mean business. I want this with a lot of thought and a lot of prayer. I want the Lord to guide you. And on January 22nd, 2023, we're going to have a way for you to make this mission known. And you'll be a part of that. It'll be a public commitment. And we're asking you to do these things, to do these six things. Now, I want you to know what I'm going to do, what Dr. Mike's going to do. All right? I'm committing right now to making five people my mission. Five people my mission. I'm asking you to do at least one, and I'm going to do five. I want to lead. I want to lead. Second of all, I am informing you that we're going to set up opportunities for training and, and for encouragement in this area. We're not going to have some six-week course where you got to memorize a, a track and stuff like that. Uh, I've learned this, folks, that, that when I've shared the gospel and had opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, what just comes from the Holy Spirit in your heart and mind and your warmth of love for that person and your friendship with that person and the Word of God, that works, Amen. You know, we may, may rehearse the Roman road and, and all that, but we're not going to do one of these elaborate programs. When I was in seminary, before you graduated seminary, you had to take a, one whole course called EE, Evangelism Explosion. And it was a whole thing to memorize, and you had to write it, and you had to quote it, whole thing to memorize. I, and, and, and I've used it through the years, and I've never led one person to Christ with it. But I've led them to Christ just saying, hey, let me tell you what, what God says about that and how you can know Jesus as your Savior. That's, that's it. Amen. It's that simple. But I'm going to set up opportunities. As a matter of fact, I think one of the best in the country was written and organized by my old college roommate and the best man at my wedding. And I was the best man at his wedding. And he's in Georgia with the Georgia Baptist Convention. And I called old Steve up and I said, Steve, I want you to come down here and do no sweat evangelism. So on January 22nd, that morning when you give us the names and we have that, that wonderful, wonderful presentation from the people in church, that evening he's going to do no sweat evangelism. It's going to be fun. You'll love Steve. He's quite a character. Steve and I have been friends a long time. I want to tell you what he does to me, though. We go out to eat. He'll say, hey, there's old so-and-so, and I'll turn around and he'll grab my food off my plate. But I'm not going to fall for it in January. Another thing I'm going to do is we're going to, we as a staff are going to provide opportunities for you to invite your mission to, to events and, and services and special things that will really be evangelistic. Like we're thinking about doing a, a, our marriage conference, Song of Solomon, again and, and making, rewriting that material to be very evangelistic to have maybe a couple of Christian concerts or some events that you can invite your mission to. Now, folks, the thing is you got to invite them and get them here. Amen? When, if we're going to do those things, we can't preach to the choir. we got to preach to the lost. And then I want to share this with you. I commit myself to praying for your mission, praying with you, for you, go with you anytime, anywhere. I'm cutting some things out of my life and schedule so I can 
put more time in this and be available to you. We're not throwing you out there saying, go win them to Christ, it's all up to you. If you need help, your mission is our mission, remember? Your mission is our mission. This is the church's mission. Your mission is the church's mission. So I'm going to ask you to do those things, and that's basically what I'm going to do and some other things too. But uh, that's it. That's it. Who's your mission? Start praying about it today. Start praying about it today. Now, maybe today you're here and you are a mission. That's what you are. Maybe your baptism is out of order. You haven't met Christ, but you've been baptized. And and I'm not telling you that wasn't meaningful to you. I'm just telling you what the Scripture says, that you have to be saved, you have to be born again, you have to have a relationship with Christ to go to heaven. And then baptism is the very first act of obedience after you become a Christian. You cannot become a Christian without a conscientious, knowledgeable decision to receive Christ as Savior. And perhaps the Holy Spirit speaking to you now to draw you to that decision. We're here. We're going to give an invitation. You just come forward and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. That's all you got to say. And we will help you, won't we, Brother Larry? We'll help you to come to Christ. We'll help you to know that. Maybe another decision that you need to make. We're here to help. Let's stand together. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.